Unfortunately, the products of big tech companies are rarely fueled by a social impact mission. Finding and contributing to one that is out to make a social mission happen is challenging, but super worthwhile. Today's guest talks us through CSR, or corporate social responsibility, in a big tech company, as well as how to leverage networking opportunities to get there. Join us for today's conversation and learn about opportunities in CSR, the value of being a generalist, and how to build a multifaceted career of your dreams. Welcome to the Be Social Change podcast, your go-to resource for weekly personal professional development to help you build a successful social impact career. I'm Marco Salazar. And I'm Jen Lashansky, and we're the team behind Be Social Change. Over the past decade, we've helped tens of thousands of professionals and entrepreneurs grow their social impact careers, and we're excited to help you do the same. In the podcast, you'll learn new skills and strategies from inspiring social impact leaders who have built careers at socially conscious companies, innovative nonprofits, and within government. We're so happy you found this podcast and look forward to helping you build a meaningful, fulfilling, and successful social impact career. Let's get into it. Ride-sharing companies are major business. Lyft is a $24 billion company, and Uber has a $91 billion market cap. More and more people are choosing which app to use based on its social mission. And Lyft has differentiated itself from its competitors early on by setting ambitious social and environmental goals. And our amazing guest today, Celia Moreno, is a social impact lead at Lyft, helping communities access the transportation they need. Her journey through various social sectors and landing in CSR is so interesting and beneficial for anyone who's interested in maximizing their impact. Excited to jump in, Jen. Hi, Celia. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, happy to be here. So happy to have you. We want to just dive right in and we're hoping that you'd share a little bit more about the social impact work that you're currently doing at Lyft. Yeah, I'm more than happy to share. I am currently a social impact lead at Lyft. And what that looks like is that I manage all of our Lyft Up transportation access programs. So we build transportation programs around use cases that we've determined would have the largest impact. So we build transportation programs around jobs, around disaster, around vaccines. Right now, we are currently rolling out two new programs related around healthcare and racial justice. And what drew you to want to start working at Lyft? That is a great question. So I was actually recruited by Lyft. I had always had an inkling for working in social impact. It's what I wanted to do in my entire career. And when it came to Lyft, the reason why I said yes to the recruiter was because of the fact that this role sat specifically within policy. So it merged my two goals, which was working in the policy field and then also working in social impact. And so Lyft had a really unique way of how they approach social impact, specifically through a policy lens, but then also through a really specific way of using their core product to drive impact, which I thought was very unique for the company. That is really unique. You said something that was really interesting in that there was obviously someone that recruited you. And was there anything particular about your resume, LinkedIn, or how did they find you that really drew them in? Because that's a really interesting integration of social impact and policy. Yeah. So another really great question. So what's interesting is that it was, I think, my first time ever being recruited. So I was very just taken aback. Like one, it was for a social impact role, which you never hear of. Usually it's the opposite where recruiters are getting like 3000 applications for a social impact role. And the second piece was just being the person that was selected, right? You're like, oh, wow, I guess this is interesting. And so that was actually one of my questions to the recruiter. What was it about my particular background? And she really talked about the fact that I had that policy experience. So I had worked at San Francisco City Hall and also clerked for a judge. So there was like a little bit of that baked into my background. 
And at the time, I was already working in social impact. So I was at Airbnb doing their employee giving and volunteering program for all of their 8,000 employees based internationally. And kind of one other follow-up question is that social impact lead is something that we're starting to see in terms of other organizations or social impact roles, which is super exciting. And it's really great to see companies going that direction. So what does your job actually look like on a day-to-day and what are the things that you do on a regular basis? Yeah. So I feel like I don't think this is specific to a lead, but I think it is specific to social impact is we're kind of a jack of all trades. So in any given day, I don't know if this is like unique to Lyft, but probably for very scrappy startups, which I still think we're like a startup. I manage our budget for our programs. If we're launching a new program or even doing any general program management, I am liaising with the partners that are a part of the program. I'm working with our marketing and comms teams to make sure that they're aware of the latest developments and that they essentially have what they need to be able to talk about our programs externally. I'm also working with our legal teams a lot just to make sure that everything is in place in terms of legal agreements, but also what we talk about, how we talk about our programs externally and then internally, making sure that we're advocating for the work that we're doing. So when we do launch a program or any new development happens, I'm also internally talking about the work that we do on Slack with different teams because I sit on the policy team. I'm like calling out specific legislatures or like specific elected officials that have already shown interest in the program and just basically trying to make connections company-wide when it comes to the type of work that we do. So it's a very cross-functional role. It's a very unique role in where you have to be able to speak the language of all the different teams. And I would also say that there are a lot of meetings. (laughs) So in any given day, I'm probably in about five meetings, either with internal or external partners. Oh, that is a lot of meetings. We totally get that. (laughs) And it's really cool to hear a little bit more about what the work entails. I'm also wondering if you can just share where Lyft generated its ideas for social impact or how you continue to evolve the Lyft Up program. What is your framework for decision making or deciding on where the impact can be generated? Great question. So actually, our social impact programs started way back in the day with someone that probably in the social impact space are very familiar with. His name is Mike Masterman. He's kind of a household name in the social impact space. A lot of folks, when I, whenever I go to events nowadays, they're like, oh, Masterman. I'm like, That's him. Yeah, he's kind of like the grandfather of our programs. So he basically was very adamant about making sure that whatever decision the CEOs made was made with social impact in mind. So he put out an op-ed. He basically was like, this is why we need to do this. And now when we, even now, and company all hands, whenever we talk about the work that we do, we call it the why. And so the why is essentially what drove the social impact program even beginning in the first place. And so the idea from very early on was that we would use transportation, which is what we do best to drive the programs that we operate. A few iterations have come from that. We've tried a couple things that maybe didn't quite work. We're like, well, maybe we can use transportation in this particular use case. Sometimes it works out really well as in our jobs access program, and then sometimes it doesn't. So we try a couple different things. We do very small pilots to see like, what's the reaction of the community? Is this something that is a use case that is even helpful? Are we creating a bigger need? Like what's going on? So we really assess a lot of the work that we do, which drives a lot of the decisions that we make as we move forward. We also hold roundtables with partners where we hear from them directly, especially as right now we are doing a lot of that as we're thinking about launching new programs. We really take in a lot of community feedback so that we're building programs with community and not for communities. That's amazing to hear. 
And one thing that I just have to acknowledge too, it's like, I love that we get the chance to talk to you and hear a little bit more about where the social impact comes from, because within the space of social impact and even corporate sustainability or corporate social responsibility, Lyft has always emerged as like a role model, if you will. You had Lyft and Uber emerging at the same time. And the more and more we talked to people, it was like people understood that taking Lyft was actually doing something beneficial, whether it was for drivers or the greater community, and it provided a competitive advantage. It's great to hear that that why has always been baked in and always acknowledged. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you are dealing with a competitive player that is much larger than you, you really need to be able to differentiate. And this is just the route that the founders decided to take. They were like, we're going to be different by making a difference and by really investing in the social impact team. And you can really see that through the types of leaders that they foster. Like I'm sure you're familiar with I don't know if listeners are familiar with Joan Janawi, but you are. And Joan specifically was my manager. She was sort of like my mentor and led me through becoming the person that I am now in this role. And so I really think that they've made a really conscious decision of being very mindful of who they bring into these roles and how they foster their growth and just how they grow them into leaders and social impact space, which I really appreciate. I'll just say we love Joan. Joan for listeners, <laughs> Joan Hanawi has been on our CSR panel events that we used to host in person in New York City. So it's really fun to have an ongoing relationship with your amazing team at Lyft and be able to also see the evolution of it over time. And one of the things that you shared, obviously, when you were recruited was there was this policy background that probably attracted them to you. But what are some of the skills or talents that you feel that you utilize on a regular basis in your job, but also might be conducive in a leading role when it comes to social impact? I really think it goes back to being that jack of all trades. I wouldn't say that I am like an expert comms writer. I'm like, I'm not an expert like marketing, identifying who our user base is, but I feel like I can speak to that when it comes to the types of work that we do. So I really think being a jack of all trades is really important. Being a really strong communicator because you are sort of managing a lot of different plates and a lot of different roles and teams. And even if things get held up, you need to be able to communicate all of that really in a timely manner. And so I think that being able to wear a lot of different hats, being a strong communicator are, I think, are the two top key features of this role and why I think I was brought in because I was able to demonstrate that in the interview and I was able to show that I had been able to do that in different roles and different capacities at different companies. Awesome. I just want to say, I think that there's a lot of people who probably feel relief at hearing what you're saying, because there's so many people who have general skill sets and they're like, I don't know where to fit in. I don't know how I can do what I want to do. But what you're saying, I think it's going to be great for people to hear. Yeah. And you shared this earlier was making connections across the organization. And I'm starting to see is as these social impact roles or social impact focused roles start emerging in companies, you have to make connections and really communicate internally. And one, to build up those collaboration points and maybe coalitions, but also just educate people a little bit more about the work that you do? Do you feel like that's a little bit of part of the job as well? Absolutely. I would say that even if there's a team that you maybe don't really work with as often, I will say that sometimes they end up being your biggest champions. So as I mentioned earlier, like we communicate with a lot of different teams, a lot on, I would say, like the soft sciences, right? Like how it's called, right? Like the comms, marketing, policy, and less so on the technical side. I've been very adamant about also working with the technical teams because at the end of the day, they're the ones that build the product. They're the ones that need to understand like what some of the users that we work with face, whether we work with unbanked communities or whether we work with communities that don't even have a smartphone, right? Like we need to be able to ensure that we're building technology to also support those communities and who is building the technology, but the technical folks. And so I'm always also trying to connect with them, even if it's one off, like meeting engineers here and there, or like meeting product managers, just to be able to articulate the type of work that we do so that they understand and keep that in mind when they're in the room making decisions about the product. 
I think that it also goes to the truth of impact needing a collaborative mindset and needing a collaborative skill set too. And the one thing that's just interesting is that I do business coaching and actually a client of mine through a startup accelerator is working with Lyft in Portland. And it was just been really interesting learning about Lyft's real kind of strategy on working with the community and having the community really involved in actually the creation of the services that are provided. So it's really cool to see a company really making a conscious effort to understand who they're serving and adapting their products or services for those communities. Exactly. It's really important, especially if you want to grow your users base, right? Like even from a business standpoint, it's valuable in a big way. So yeah, you've given us so much to think about as far as the ways in which your social impact work carries out now. And you also mentioned being really in touch with the why. And I'm wondering if you could share with us a little bit about your own journey and the why that got you started into a social impact career. Yeah. So I will just preface that social impact was not a career I thought I would ever go into. I didn't even know it existed. I grew up in Los Angeles, first generation Mexican-American. And for me, my careers were very clear for me. I would either be a teacher, I would be a lawyer, I would be a doctor, right? Things that you'd see on TV and things that you know are available to you. And so when I made the transfer to San Francisco State University, I only thought about becoming an attorney. I was very clear cut. I was like, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm going to school. And that's actually why I ended up at San Francisco City Hall and also clerking for a judge at the San Francisco Superior Courthouse. And so I was basically building up my perfect resume so that when I applied to law school, I would be ready to go. And it wasn't until I was actually at San Francisco City Hall that I met my did not know it at the time, but my future manager at Microsoft, who was working with the city to essentially implement technology to help under-resourced communities in the neighborhood I actually lived in in San Francisco. And working side by side with that person and really understanding how technology can have an influence and how you can use it in this really unique way is what drew me into social impact. So from that moment on, I was more intrigued by being able to use technology in a way that was scalable and also in a way that was impactful that I feel like that's what drove my career in a different direction. I still think about going to law school every now and then, but I really enjoy what I'm doing and I really appreciate the social impact aspect of it. And even when I was thinking about law school, it was mainly about like becoming an immigration attorney, just from my background, just being able to find a way to get back to communities. And I felt that even making the change to social impact, I could still keep true to that just because of the fact that the support we could provide was scalable and could help so many more people. I hear in that even if you were looking for like the more traditional careers, that they were still grounded in your primary values. And that's been a through line. And thinking about your career or even kind of social impact or your current job, what's been the parts that you enjoy most? And then what are the ones that you've found most challenging? I would say the parts that I've enjoyed the most is being able to grow professionally and also personally. For me, this career hasn't just been like climb the ladder and get to becoming, I don't know, CEO of social impact. I don't know. It's not really about that. For me, the part of it that's been most exciting is being able to flex muscles or do things that maybe I didn't even know I could do. And so it's been rewarding and challenging at the same time to be able to grow professionally in ways that I didn't even know I could. So I'm very grateful for being able able to be in this position. I've met some of the smartest people I've ever met just even working here. And so I really appreciate just the exposure. In terms of the challenging side, I would say that the most challenging piece is 
we're resource constrained, right? Like we don't have unlimited resources to support everyone that we want to support into perpetuity. It's just not possible. And being able to have those conversations or even saying no has been really tough. I don't like to say no, even when I can't support like we have to find a way. And it's really tough to go back and say, actually, we can't or have to walk something back. And so I think that has been very challenging for me. Yeah. The resource constraint, I feel like, is universal across the social impact space. Most nonprofit professionals think if I go and I move and I work with a corporation, then I'll have unlimited resources. And that's not the case wherever you go. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I really hear that. Now, one thing that we talk a lot about at Be Social Change, you mentioned it as the why, and we have framed it a lot as purpose, and that a lot of people talk about like purpose and purpose direction and things like that. And I'm wondering if the word purpose means anything to you in your work different than the why or if it's similar to that why. I would say it's very similar because when I think about the why, it's like the North Star about the work, why I do the work that I do. And it explains it perfectly, right? The question in and of itself is why do you do what you do? And I use that as a driving force, which also could translate to purpose, right? Like I've really found purpose in being able to give back and being able to not only support communities, but also within myself grow professionally. And I actually like the way the language that you use, because we always talk about this to be social change, where I think it's not so much about finding your purpose, but you're finding purpose on a regular basis. It's not as if you find this one thing and then everything is puppy dogs and ice cream is what I say. But I think the other aspect that you shared is that you're continually pushing yourself and personally growing. And that's also purposeful as well. Exactly. So one of the things that we also talk a lot about in social change is the value of networking. And that alongside being purposeful, one of the most important things you can do is build a strong network. And I'm wondering how networking has played a role in your career. Oh my goodness. This goes back to what started my career and my background, right? Like growing up, I was always like, no, you have to work really hard and then you'll get what you need to get based on how hard you work. Well, when you're applying to a job and you're applying to millions of jobs and you never hear back, like it's not because you didn't work hard. A lot of the time I find it's because of lacking those connections. It felt like cheating, right? Like networking and getting a referral or something felt like I was cutting the line or cheating. But networking was actually the most impactful things I could do for my career. I joined every single networking community I could find in San Francisco because one, I knew I wanted to keep working in social impact. And two, the people I were meeting were really interesting and they thought about social impact in a different way than I did that could continue to grow what I had thought it was and then what it actually was, right? Those were two different pieces of it as I was going through my career. So if anyone is hesitant about networking, it's really tough. I get a lot of anxiety. I have to like take a break every now and then, but it actually is worth it, especially if you're new in your career, especially if you are trying to like try this out for the first time. It is so important. I think I have found every single job I have had except for this lift role because of networking. Through the San Francisco City Hall, I met my then manager, but I was still networking and going to events to like connect with colleagues in the same space to try to understand what it actually meant to be in this role, networking to get my job at Airbnb, like networking to get my job at Fast Forward, like literally every single role I can point to a networking event that I went to that I then met my future employer. And I think one of the things that you're making me see is that there's different roles that you played at different types of companies. And can you speak to the diversity of your network? And did you feel like you were having and needing to connect with diverse groups of people? 
Absolutely. I felt like it would, one, validate the role that I was in, and also it would allow me to grow as a subject matter expert within those particular roles. Going back to when I first started at Microsoft, I was a fellow at Microsoft, so it was not an intern. It was a fellow, so it was a very different experience, and I was a fellow there for about nine months. And the fellowships are typically only for three to six months, but I somehow managed to extend it just because I was having such a great time. (laughs) And through there, I really got to meet a lot of folks that worked at the intersection of technology and government, which isn't traditional social impact, but it is still technically corporate social responsibility. And so I met a lot of folks like through that are like City Innovate, the SF City, just lots of really interesting organizations that worked at that really unique niche intersection of technology and government, just finding ways to basically make government more efficient through technology, which was fascinating. That isn't what I do now, though. And so that is really cultivated that group of network for that particular role so that I could speak to a lot of the work that I was doing from a subject matter expert. Then from there, I moved on to working at Fast Forward, which was a nonprofit. Not That nonprofit's entire funding model was based on corporate social responsibility experts. So I met every single corporate social responsibility lead through that role just by connecting with them through either the skills-based volunteering program we were doing or through the accelerators we were hosting there. And through there, I was more connected to the traditional CSR and tech roles. And so did a lot of networking through that just to meet more people, connect with them, understand how their businesses did social impact, which I think really widened my view of what I thought social impact was. At the time, I thought it was just either you work with governments or you help employees volunteer. That was very narrow view of what I thought social impact was, but that was what I had learned. But as I continued to connect with more individuals, I really looked at it differently and I thought, oh, wait, I don't know if I want to apply to work for that company because they really care about this particular niche topic that it's not my interest. So I'm not going to apply for that role. So I think that really opened up my mind to meeting a lot of different people, understanding how the landscape works, and then just being able to narrow it down to something that I was interested in. I think your story really speaks to something that's very important when it comes to networking, because a lot of people oftentimes think they network on accident versus networking with purpose. And you were very clear about who you really needed to connect with, both for your own professional network in general, but then also for your job. And I think you speak to two things. One, when you're trying to get a job, your network is important. But even when you're in your role, it's important to network internally as well as probably externally to bring potential opportunities to the company you're working for. Absolutely. I still network, even though I'm not looking for another job. I still network because you never know who you're going to meet and what those opportunities could turn into. I was actually connected to an individual that I met through a networking event that we're not talking about a potential business opportunity. So it happens, right? And it's not just about accidentally going to these things and trying to like get something out of someone. It's really just a matter of making it organic and meeting as many people as possible. And it may not be the most successful networking event, but at least you met a few people. 100%. I also think with networking too, there's an issue where the ways in which networks have been built traditionally, especially in the US, have been really inequitable and that there's informal networks that people just go to a specific elite high school, college or whatever it is and have these like almost inborn networks. And then what I hear you talking about is a very different type of networking that isn't just relying on the groups that you've socialized in the past, which can oftentimes lead towards greater inequity, but also finding new groups of people like actively going to events, actively searching out different types of networks. 
Yes, I'm definitely of the latter. I do not have any connections from any schools I went to. No, <laughs> for me, it was really important to build new connections, but I didn't understand the value of them until I was in it. And until it came to being able to ask for just someone to be a thought partner, I didn't feel like I had that. So I felt like I had to create it. And so that's like where the networking for me was really important. And even some of the people that I've met through networking, I still keep in touch with, have become really great friends with, and I've just like continued to keep in touch. Yeah. And that, that goes such a long way. Like truthfully, some of my favorite friends have come through networking as well. So I feel <laughs> you so deeply where it's like, you never know who you're going to meet or the power behind just simply getting out there and saying hello to new folks. So I really appreciate you sharing that in your story. And I think you may have shared earlier that either you kind of need to recharge from networking. So do you feel like you're an introvert? Either yes or no, or tips that you have in terms of when you're actually networking? Yes. So I am not really an introvert, but I feel like I'm both. I'm... Mm. What is it? An ambivert? I don't know. Ambivert. Ambivert. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yes, I'm an ambivert. And I definitely feel like I need moments to recharge. And I definitely feel like I can be an extrovert. So there's two. I would say that as a tip. So I'm also really nervous about going up to people, right? I'm like, oh, hey, nice to meet you. And it's very nerve wracking. I will just put it out there. And it's not easy to do. And I feel like anyone that does make it easy has superpower because I definitely need to either recharge and I need to like muster up the courage to say something to someone. Someone and then I'm overthinking, oh no, did I say something silly? And so I feel like those things are natural. And I think it's just a matter of being able to brush it off and move on. Best case scenario, you never see that person again, right? Who knows, right? Like even if it's awkward, right? It's better to keep going at it because the value that comes from it is so much greater than those like immediate two minute awkward interactions. And so I would say that's a tip, right? Just make sure to you take your time to let it go, even if it is awkward. And then another tip I would give is I like to hold something. So I will like nurse like club soda or something just to keep my hands busy. <laughs> or if I want to have a wine, I'll have wine. I'm not really a big drinker. So I also know a lot of these things are held at bars. So it's important to like set your boundaries, right? Like, do you need a club soda today or do you need a wine or whatever your drink of choice is? So I like to hold something and nurse it because then it gives me something to hold and like not awkwardly stand around, but just be like, maybe I'm busy drinking my drink if I'm not talking to anyone, right? <laughs> <laughs> totally. And those are like literally practical things to do when you're there. It's, I think one of the things that we recommend, because I personally, even though we've built a really great community, we do tend to facilitate networking events in New York. I'm a little bit of an introvert and, and extrovert as well, as well as I don't particularly enjoy like going up to people and chatting with them. But one of the things that I just do is introduce myself. The first thing I really do is just lead with questions and lead with kind of generosity and how I can potentially help this person. But just being the one that's driving the conversation a little bit through questions, then when you end up talking with them, you can tailor whatever you say that kind of fits who they are, maybe what they're interested in. But then at the same time, if you ask a lot of questions and they keep going on and on, you have to be ready, prepared <laughs> to be like, where's the restroom? Or yeah. I'm going to go get another drink. Yes. I've never heard Marcos identify at all as an extrovert. But like the most ironic thing is that this person who's built an amazing organization dedicated to networking, you've identified as like the most introverted person. I do need a lot of time to recharge. Yeah. 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 It's so important. And so like, I'm the extrovert in our dynamic. Where I will come on way too strong because I'm just so excited to talk with someone. And so when you're talking about those awkward encounters, it's making me laugh because I've had so many of them where I like will walk up to someone and be like way too enthusiastic about what about just like connecting. But they often tend to be memorable. It's awkward. Most people both feel awkward. So as long as you can laugh about it, I find that it ends up being memorable and a great way to build a relationship anyway. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's worth it. 
Me too. We too. We would agree. Absolutely. (laughs) And we wanted to ask you too, if you have any advice that you would give to anybody who's seeking a social impact job, anybody who's out there on the job market right now. Yeah, that is an excellent question because I actually get asked this a lot. It's a tough question because I wish I could say, oh, just do ABC and you're done. You're good. Just do this really quick math and you got it. And it's hard to even when I get asked the question, how did you get into your role? Like it's not standard, right? It's not standard to get recruited and then now you're in the social impact role that you love and meets all your needs, right? Like it's not normal to be in that situation. And I would even say that it took me a couple tries to be able to get to the point where I am now. And a lot of it was understanding the landscape. So I would say number one is understand the landscape. Do go to these networking events, talk to other social impact professionals, really understand like what does it look like? Because I think when I first started, like I mentioned, I had a very narrow-minded view about it and I didn't really know what was available. And so I felt like I had to mold myself to fit a very particular role that I felt wasn't really for me. And so I think that it's important to study the landscape and you do that by networking and meeting other individuals that are in the social impact space. And then once you have all that knowledge and you're like, okay, great, I've learned all these different things from all these other companies, then I would think about narrowing it down, right? Like think about, okay, you now know what all these companies do. You now know what their social impact strategy is. Like now I would say narrow it down to what you actually want to do and then stay front of mind for the person hiring, stay front of mind for that person in that role, and then just find a way to continue to go at it. And even if that's not the role that you get, like I would say that finding something adjacent to something that you've already started and you already understand like what it is and what it entails, then I would say go for it. Awesome. And then another tip for any kind of social impact professional is, are there any kind of creative or productivity habits or routines or anything that you use, whether it's recharging, whether it's to be productive or creative? Yeah. So a couple things. One, I definitely take recharge days. Me time when I'm like, oh my God, I can't look at the strategy doc any longer. I definitely take recharge time because I understand like I can feel myself like not operating at the level I want to be operating at. The second piece of advice that I actually got from a manager once, which was amazing, was I was really struggling to build out a program that we were working on. And I just kept looking at the blank page and writing words on it. And she was like, why don't you just turn everything off? Turn everything off. Just take some time to basically write your ideas down on a piece of paper and just like really think about it differently, right? Without the pressure of looking at this blank page and without the pressure of needing to perform, just basically write random thoughts that come to you related to this. Like, what do you actually want to do and how do you want it to look like? And just put it on a notepad and then go from there. So it was really about getting devices out of the way, taking the pressure off and like really just pen and paper, like back to basics, basically. And I found that so helpful for so many things. And so I will take an hour or two to just basically brainstorm things on a piece of paper. If I find that I'm like really struggling from writer's block or my creativity just isn't there, sometimes I'm like, maybe it's this computer that is being the blocker and like the pressure behind like making sure that this program is perfect is definitely a good way to get it out of the way. And then the last thing around creativity, I don't know. I find that like I also need to exercise. I know that sounds cliche, but actually running, I like to run or cycle. And I find that actually really helps me stress release in ways that I was always like, this is bogus. And then I was like, I'm just going to go on a run, see if it like actually helps. And it helped so much. And I was like, wow, I thought people were lying. This is actually true. (laughs) It was like a big conspiracy to get people out running. Yeah. I was like, I just want people out here running on these streets. But it actually was so helpful. And I was a skeptic. I'm no longer a skeptic now. If I'm feeling overwhelmed, I do go for a run. 
with like movement and also like physical handwriting. There's all of these studies that have come out that like creativity is enhanced when there's a pen in your hand more than when you're typing. So it's like the original technology of like handwriting actually comes <laughs> through in a really good way. So thank you for sharing those tips with us too. They're really good. One question to wrap up our conversation here, Sally. What's one piece of career advice you wish you had gotten at the very beginning of your career? Oh, dang. I feel like I really struggled at the beginning of my career. I felt like this is just never going to happen for me. There were moments like even I felt like once I wrapped up my fellowship at Microsoft, I was like, great, I have the credibility of this company now on my resume. I can get hired anywhere. And guess what? Not true. And I felt like I still had to work really hard to build those networks, to go to those events, like really meet other professionals in the space to like be able to finally feel like I got it right. And even now I still feel like it's maybe loosely like I feel like I have a grasp of it, but it's still like something that I need to preserve. And so I feel like a career advice that I wish I would have gotten is maybe just don't be so hard on yourself. And it's about the journey and it's about the experiences you make and not so much about getting to the finish line. That's a perfect line to end on. And I just really appreciate all the amazing work that you've shared that you're doing at Lyft and Lyft as a whole to all of the great networking tips and strategies, as well as a couple of the self-care and self-compassion elements that you shared that's really important in kind of the integration of the two and that it really is a journey. And it's not just like you said, like once you get a job at a particular company, you can't necessarily ride that brand or that reputation and you do have to continually work hard. And it's really about finding purpose and enjoyment along in the journey. So thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. I so enjoyed speaking with Celia about her work, her journey, and her insights into self-compassion. Same. Celia is one of those people who's just so committed to social impact and the values of self-improvement that need to underlie this work for all people. Her way of thinking about the social impact space is so valuable for people to hear too. The way she's thinking about mapping the landscape and making intersector connections is so awesome. I completely agree. And I think that she's talking about something so important, which is networking when you don't have your own contacts and how to do it successfully. She's such a great example. And I'm definitely going to be thinking about this conversation with all of the people I know who are interested in CSR or really any job in social impact, truly. Same and excited for the conversation next week. See you all soon. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you liked the episode, help us grow the impact of this podcast by taking a quick second to leave us a five-star rating and review telling us what you liked. And please share the podcast with anyone you think could benefit from this type of career and business advice. Word of mouth is the number one way we can grow the podcast and the impact we have on people's careers. And don't forget to visit besocialchange.com for free social impact career resources through our newsletter. See you next week.